Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I am with Dan and Adrian once again this week. And this week, we are kicking off a 12-episode series that's going to be kind of spread out uh, among the next little while. And in these 12 episodes, we are covering the 12 paradoxes in the Harrison Assessment. The Harrison Assessment is a tool that we use to map out the culture of teams to find out where people's preferences are for enjoying their work and where they tend to go when they're stressed out. Now the report is a very visual report. So what I've done is I've taken the cover for each one of these episodes and actually used the image of the paradox from the report for the cover of each episode. So make sure you take a look at that as you're listening to the episode. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, great. Excellent. Thanks. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to dive into uh, a tool that we use uh, starting this week, and we're going to. This is going to be a little series, a 12 episode series that we're going to do. Uh, a tool that we use called the Harrison Assessment, and the Harrison Assessment is a is um, something that we use to to not only uh, get a better understanding of how our clients typically behave when it comes to their work and stress and all of that kind of stuff. And you'll see what I mean by the traits that we explore in these episodes. Um, but it also is a brilliant tool to map out teams when we're working with large companies and, and everybody on a leadership team is taking this assessment. It can show us and map us or, or map out for us exactly how the team inter- tends to interact in times of when things are flowing and also when times in times when things are stressful. And so we thought it would be really interesting to do a deep dive into, into we we're calling them or, or they're called paradoxes. And I'm going to get to that in just a second, but then most of the assessment or the results of the assessment are based on these paradoxes, meaning, you know, we think two things are opposite, but really they exist at the same time and end up supporting each other. And you'll, you'll get to know a little bit more what, what I mean by that as we, as we dive into this. We're going to actually talk about each of our results from the Harrison assessment, where we fall into these paradoxes and how that shows up in our daily conversations, interactions with our clients, our families, um, and, uh, and each other on the team. So I, I'm really excited about this. I, of course, uh, have been taking a deeper, deeper dive into the Harrison the last couple of weeks, uh, as I'm upping my certification on that. And, um, and, uh, and so this is, this is definitely what, that's definitely one thing that has sparked my interest in exploring this deeper for those who are listening. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it is a very, the res- I'll also say this, that the results of the assessment are very visual. And that's one luxury that we don't have for the podcast, obviously. So, um, you know, as, uh, as we go along, we'll, tr- we'll do our best to kind of explain what we're looking at when we look at the XY charts and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we'll even, uh, I'll look at posting some stuff on social media, uh, as well, that people could go take a look at some of these paradoxes. Maybe the day that these episodes release, we could post Instagram stories of these uh, snapshots of these paradoxes. Um, and then people could get a little bit more of a visual of what we're talking about. So there's two theories uh, and I'll let you guys talk in just a minute. Oh, Dan, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, just to clarify some things for the listeners, 
you know, when you're hiring somebody, there's only two things, two areas you're really can, you're concerned about. A, you're concerned about eligibility, which has to do, which, you know, has to do with, can this person do the job? And um, so their specific skills are, are usually in question, previous work experience, training and education, that kind of stuff. And then, um, then the second part's more of a black box, which is what we use this, um, this assessment for. Once people know what their eligibility, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to determine someone's eligibility than it is to determine their suitability, which determines if the person will do the job because somebody could be really qualified to do the job and be educated and have the skills, but because they don't prefer it, they don't like the tasks that are involved in it. They may not want to do the job long or and they may not want to engage it too deeply. And, and you know, just to give an example, so people get a sense of that is I've, I, you know, I had a, a couple of guys who had a startup and they were trying to hire a CFO. And this girl lady comes in, she's summa cum laude from Wharton Business School. And she does the interview and they love her. She's just a fantastic hire, you know, and they really want her and they put her through the assessment and, the assessment comes back and basically says, you know, highly, obviously highly uh, eligible, but wasn't really suited that showed that she'd probably get bored. And so after a very short while, so I sent the report to them and they said, are you sure we really like this girl? And I, I said, this lady, she's like really qualified. And I said, well, you just interview her and talk to her, see if she's open to it. So and I said at the same time, because there's, it's the Harrison tools, right? And so the tools, there are multiple tools. So I ran another assessment. And one of the things it does is it assesses, it norms the participant against the people, other people doing that job versus norming them against some gigantic group of people that may not do anything like what they're doing, which is very unique to any assessment that I've ever seen. And this came back and said, and we've run a report that says, well, what would this, given these scores, what tendencies where, where, given this person's preferences, what work would they like? And this one came up with a analyst at a, at a hedge fund, chief analyst at a hedge fund. And so when they interviewed her, she said, they, they came back and they told her, you know, look, the assessment says that maybe after a couple of years, you may, may not want to do this. So you're going to be bored. You're overqualified or something. It's not something you'd prefer for a long time. And she said, if you looked at my, at my, Resume, you'll see that I've been a CFO twice before, and it lasted about two years both times. I, about a year and a half in, I get bored, and I, so I was a little nervous applying for this job, to be honest with you, And but I don't know what else I could do. I'd really like doing, and they said, well, you know, we, this guy ran another report for you, and here's some of the top jobs. One of them is an analyst at, you know, chief analyst at a hedge fund. And she said, well, that's really interesting. Tomorrow I have an interview. For, I thought I might like that. I was going to go interview it. Can I have that? So they gave her the report. She went and took the job as the chief analyst. They thanked me. Uh, so we got both. I ended up getting both accounts. But but it's, that's the kind of, that's what it's designed to do. So it's not really, the, it's not measuring competency. It's measuring your behavioral preferences. And because I think you're going to go into the the enjoyment performance theory. So I'll let it I'll go there, but that's just kind of a little bit of a background on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, can I, can I double down on the double down? Cause I just, just, just to double down on the double down. Hold up. I think it's so for those listening, so we hire, we typically hire 
based on eligibility. Do you have the experience to do the job? Did you go to the right school? Have they been there before? Have they run a team of this size? Blah, blah, blah. That's why we hire. We think facts about the past are the future. This conversation is about suitability. It's a deeper conversation. Do you want to do the job? So is, is, there, is, the, is the future exciting because of the job that is here? Do I, am I naturally going to be engaged? Will I take on new challenges? Anyway, this, this, this opportunity is to be able to see the matrix of where somebody is in life and what they want in life and hire into that, which is a gift to them. And you don't want to hire somebody that's eligible but doesn't want to do it. So anyway, just to, just to put a fine point on it, because the, the distinction is amazing. We rarely ever do I hear somebody hiring for suitability. They always hire for eligibility because that's usually the only game in town. We call them resumes or CVs or BS interview processes. And usually people are stuck in that in our interview. You can't think of what to ask. This identifies those tender areas where you can direct your questions and really see if this person you know, because they might be, you know, the assessment will tell you if there's 75 percent of their of what they enjoy doing is included in this job. Yeah. And, and so they don't have to. I mean, they could be 66. I, I had a CEO who's only 62 percent, took a company from, you know, zero to two, 2.2 billion. But when I asked him, I, I thought the, the assessment failed. And I, he laughed. He goes, no, this thing nailed me. I, I just like to work around the things I don't like to do. <laughs> And he did a good job of it, right? So, you know, he made it, he enjoyed his work. Yeah, that's incredible. He had that insight that this, that this uh, report or this assessment gives you and, and was able to, to lean into that, which I think is obviously a big part of this. It's, it's both like in recruitment, it is, hey, let's see if they're a good fit. Let's see if they're suitable. Um, but also if somebody's already in the role, um, and thriving in the role, it can still, we can, we can identify places that are slightly imbalanced or totally imbalanced and they can lean into it or they can set up, um, set up, uh, uh, helps along the way, right. Check-ins or, or, um, bring in somebody on the team that can, um, that has that as a strength. And so, um, it's, it's just super valuable information all the way around. And, and to both of your points, this is such a good lead in, into, um, uh, the enjoyment performance theory, which states basically that if you love doing something, you'll do it more. And if you do it more, you get better at it. And when you get better at it, you'll get positive feedback for what you've done. And when you get positive feedback for what you've done, you'll enjoy doing it more. And it's this, it's this cycle, right? And, and uh, it seems kind of like, duh, but at the same time, rarely do we, um, rarely do our clients or, or most people out in the world um, consider enjoyment performance theory when they're talking about filling roles um, and how to actually provide a uh, work environment for somebody who can, um, accelerate and thrive, uh, in enjoyment. The other theory Ed, that I mentioned quickly that backs the Harrison assessment is the paradox theory, which is, again, is when we think two, uh, traits are contradictory. Um, and, and in fact, they're not, they work together to support, to make us more balanced. And so having both of them in a balanced way allows us to perform at a higher level in that certain area. Yeah. Well, you know, it also goes in, 
that's the other thing I enjoy about this tool above the other ones. I, you know, we're, we're certified in a number of assessments and we never use them except for this one. And that's one of the things is it's not an either or intake or sorter, they call it, because it's like you and I aren't either, you know, a lot of times you have to choose, are you diplomatic or are you blunt, right? But the fact is we're both. And the question is, when are we both or how much are we one and how much are we the other one? And, and when are they? And this this will give you an idea of both and like you know because you're it's a pole that you're it's an it's a paradox and you live in the tension of the paradox of being diplomatic or frank, right? And if you're oh way too frank and very little diplomatic, you're going to show up blunt more often than you're going to be balanced like that. So. Yeah, that's great. So if we could paint this picture, this X, Y axis for each of these paradoxes, well, the first one we're going to explore today is opinions. And the reason I, I chose opinions um, for the first one to talk about is opinions um, as, as the, the people over at Harrison talk about it, it is the one that shows up everywhere else. Um, it really is the kind of the linchpin to, to, because it's all about how we hold on to our ideas, right? How you form and hold opinions, including how you deal with ambiguity is the definition that they put on these. And when we talk about the Harrison, it's so important that we define the words that they use because there's multiple definitions out there in the world. The people that, you know, when we hear the word opinions, we got to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> so in this conversation, when we talk about opinions, we're talking about how you form and hold opinions, including how you deal with ambiguity. So we have this X, Y on the vertical uh, axis, we have certain, and it's a scale from one to 10. And on the horizontal axis, we have open and reflective. And again, it's a scale from one to 10. And then you have the grid inside of, uh, of, that act, of those axes. So I'm going to give a definition really quick of each. And then I'd love to just hear um, more of how you guys see or talk about these things with leaders, right? So um, I'll, I'll, I'll give certain first. Uh, and certain is the tendency to feel confident in one's opinions, the tendency to feel confident in one's opinions. So there's a lot of things that we could make up about certainty or, or other definitions that we put on, but that's how we're talking about certain right now. And the, the default, I think, or the, or the, the tendency is to say that's a positive or a negative trait. And, uh, and I, that's not the approach that we're looking to take in this conversation. So how do we think about these these traits, um, or how do you guys think about these traits as you're working with a client and maybe they have at first glance, they're either low on certain or high on certain, and they start to make up some things about that. What, how do you approach that conversation to help them understand like, no, this is, we're not labeling these good or bad. We're just, this is just a place for us to have a foundation for a conversation. Okay. Sure. Um, uh, sorry, I was waiting for Dan. Um, Dan is one of the is the grand poobah around here around Harrison dynamics, and <laughs> Dan naturally thinks through the framework of paradox. I mean, most of his training over the last forty years has been able to, you know, hold both ends of a polemic or hold both ends of a dynamic. So he's really great at this stuff. I mean, my so to your question of, you know, when I'm jumping into a conversation with a client. 
I mean, I know this is always at play, period. Number one is, you know, I might, I might be able to put some language to it. The language will illuminate their relationship to what they think and how they decide to think and how they decide to have an opinion, right? So I just always want to illuminate their relationship to it and, and not even judge the relationship either when, when, once, once it shows up because they just got one. We've all got it. And by the way, it moves around depending on if you had a good, good or a bad burrito at lunch or if you fought with the wife at before or after or, you know, or if you're putting off that memo or whatever is going on. I mean, I, I can really shift. Um, but, you know, are we able to first off take a look and see how I have my opinions? Because that's not on accident, right? So part of the thinking behind the thinking is the point for us is to help somebody because you can't get mastery over something that you that you can't put that you can't put a handle on, really. So this is a way to put a handle on it. Um, I mean, a lot. It's and then it's. Um, I'll speak a little bit broadly, naturally, because this is our first one uh, about the Harrison assessment. One of the things is, you know, most of I'll, and I'll just speak for myself. The current and I'll think through my current clients I'm with. Um, you know, all, all of my clients are brilliant. They're all fast moving and ambitious um, and want to get something done. And usually they're taking on a huge task and de dealing with lots of complexity. Um, but where they show up on this chart can be vastly different. You know, there's not like one way in which all high end leaders show up on this chart. Okay. You know, go ahead. Well, the key is really to know where you, what it is for you so you can be aware of the potential blind spots that come out of it. I mean, the, when I first did this assessment on the opinion side, it was, I was at this women's conference. I was speaking to like five or 6,000 women. And I did this thing on paradoxical leadership. And that's when Pam approached me with this. And I was in my booth, you know, afterwards. And this gal comes up and goes, you know, um, have you ever heard of the Harrison assessment? And immediately my opinion came out clear because I rolled my eyes because I hate assessments. I hate personality assessments. And she was great. She goes, oh, okay. So would you be open to this? I mean, like, I, I'm telling you, it's not what you think. It's based on paradox theory and which got me interested. But even though I said I'd be open and I was, I do the assessment and I was skeptical throughout the assessment because my opinion, and, and it's interesting because where I score on this, I'm a six on certain and a six on self on, on uh, open and reflective. So I'm kind of three quarters of me is in the truth explorer. I've got some in dogmatic and, and, and kind of swings a little bit down into uncertain disinterest and inconclusive, which, you know, it's so like one third is in those three kind of combined in those three. So most of the time truth explorer, but I can, I, I can naturally be very dogmatic to protect myself. If I'm not certain, and somebody else is really certain about what they're doing, I'll get dogmatic just to protect myself because I'm not ready to form an opinion. So I'll pick some opinion I can agree with to drive somebody who's trying to persuade me away from me. You know, and, and I'll get, and then if that doesn't work, I'll probably flip down into, I, I don't have a flip there, but and we can talk about what that means, but I might move a little bit down into inconclusive or I might open up and, and say, okay, let's look at this. It just probably depends on how much I read you know, if I read there's it's dangerous, I probably go down into inconclusive and get confused. But if it if it looks like there's a real opening, I'll move. You know, my, that's my tendency to move like that. So, but, yeah. So here's where I want to be careful or make sure we paint visually what Dan's talking about, which is, um, of course, we have this X Y um, 
these axes. And then inside of that, there's four quadrants, right? So if you could imagine this, um, if you're high on certain, so at least five or above and high on open reflective five or above, you're going to fall into a quadrant that's called truth exploring. And that just means that pretty balanced, you use both certainty and open and reflectiveness to, um, hold your opinions, right? So you're both certain in the opinions that you have formed, but you're also open to what else might be there. And I, and I get now that I haven't done the, the definition for open reflective, but that is the tendency to reflect on many different opinions, right? So you can both hold your opinions with certainty and be open to reflect on many different viewpoints. And that's kind of the, when we talk about being balanced, it's that upper right quadrant that is the, is the balanced quadrant, meaning um, we're, we're high on both paradoxical traits of certain open and reflective. Now, if you're low, if you're high on certain and low on open reflective, you're going to be on the upper left quadrant, which is dogmatic. And dogmatic just says the tendency to be certain of opinions with, without sufficiently being open to different ideas. Um, and then if you're low on certain, which I am, and high on open reflective, you fall into the lower white right quadrant, which is called inconclusive. Uh, and that says the tendency to reflect on ideas without sufficiently coming to a conclusion. Um, I'm just perpetually open, I guess. Uh, oh, you're, <laughs> actually, you're, so, you're such a good guy. <laughs> I'm such a nice guy is what I am. Nice dude, man. You're, you're so open. <laughs> worth mentioning you have a behavioral range. So wherever your dot lands, where the two come together, there's a range of behavior that extends out, emanates out from there. So you can be very much in one quadrant, but also lead into the others, right? So... I'm a six and a six, which puts me a little off center and up into the right. So most of my behavior is up into the truth exploring, but a little bit over in dogmatic and a little bit down and inconclusive because it, it's, it's a shade. It's, it's, yeah. It's, and that's, that, that's the thing is about most assessments is they try to nail you down to some pinpoint where this is giving you, you get a chance to look at a range and where do you go? What causes you to go in those directions? Something for you to explore. Yeah. Uh, and I like that too. Uh, and I like that approach. I mean, with this assessment, it's not just a label. It's a, Hey, take a look really. Like there's a, it's a whole kaleidoscope of things that could be happening here and where you could go. Mine on this one, just cause I didn't say it earlier is it very, just like yours. I don't know if it's just like yours chat, but mine is I've had eight on open reflective and a three. This is when I took it three years ago. So we'll see where it is now. Um, but uh, three on certain, now that's when people were to if people were to hear that they'd be they'd probably laugh at that because I but the definition matters the tendency to feel confident in one's own opinion I act confident in my opinion not that I actually feel confident in my own opinions people would probably think I have a high certainty score I don't um, uh, at least when I took this or whatever much much higher um, tendency to not you know assert something. Um, I think if I were to act naturally, so, so I, I'm right smack dab in that inconclusive box. Um, when, what we haven't talked much about, but under, under amount of a pressure, I can flip up to the top left box, which is that dogmatic box. So if I'm feeling for me, it goes like this. 
I really want to be open and reflective like that for me, that almost be like a value in life. And I like people that are like that. And I like people that are conversationalists. I like people that are, you know, whatever. Um, at least that's my story about it. It's true. Um, and, but if, if something isn't like, let's say I'll, I'll use a real life example. I'm open. It's a, we're walking, we're running into the, we're coming into the weekend. I'll use a personal example. We're coming into the weekend. What are we going to do this weekend? Go, hey, what do you guys want to do? 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 And then if I'm starting to feel pressure, no more voting. (laughs) Here's what we're doing. (laughs) You know, or in a work scenario, it's like, cool. Hey, what do you guys think? What do you guys get? I mean, you guys probably might, you know, it's like uh, in times of uncertainty and times of pressure, I can flip into why it's got to be that way. It is this way. And I go from being, you know, I go from really from it, from being confident to like being, you know, like arrogant, like it must, dogmatic. It must dog, dogmatic, dogmatic is the box. The top left box is dogmatic. Like it must be this way. And if it's not going to be this way, there's going to be trouble. And I got my five reasons why, and I got my judgments of you about why you're dumb for not seeing it my way. You know, it's like, if I'm under stress, I can flip from being this kind of open dude to being the opposite of open. Um, under under for me i've got a small flip and these are some language we can illuminate when we show you guys visuals and our stories or whatever we're going to do chad um but under stress i can go from that so that's i know that's true you you can interview anybody in my life they'll say you yes those that's the tale of two adrians going from like open dude sweet hey whatever works out let's do it to nope my way or the highway long walk loft short pier um if you don't like it and anyway, so this is what was cool just to kind of see to what now I can watch myself. I know when I'm feeling dogmatic, I know when I'm getting very narrow minded, right. And getting very stubborn about my narrow view. Um, I know that. And when I get defensive, you know, like that about this idea and why it must be this way. And I know, hold on, hold on, relax, relax, you know? So that's part of the gift for me is being able to see the dynamic at, at play. And, and that's really, and when I, when I get dogmatic, when we, like a flip, just to clarify so they understand, shows up on the report like a hurricane. And when dogmatic, the flips that are, some flips are observable, they're behavioral based. So being dogmatic is behavioral. I can see when somebody gets, you can see it when they get our Mustard, yeah. And then like inconclusive, which would be a lower, a flip in the, is a gray hurricane on the, on the chart. And the smaller the hurricane the more the pressure it takes to flip. We may have a small, medium, and a large hurricane. The large hurricane, much easier to flip, and it doesn't take a lot of pressure. So I'm, I happen to be, I leak over into dogmatic and down into, with my shade, with my behavior, kind of range of behavior, but I don't flip. Now the flips, flips means that, that, that means pressure can be applied I'll probably still get dogmatic, but it won't, it'll be a gradual thing. It won't be something I, or I could remain open. It's, 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 it's more fluid. Whereas a flip is at a certain point, the person just flips, they go and they get positioned. And if they're aware of it, then they can get more curious. They can actually reopen themselves. And that that's one of the benefits of noticing is like, Oh, you know what? Instead of trying to get rid of the fact that you flip, you can use the flip as an ally to say, you know what, this is a time for me to probably ask some questions rather than defend my point of view. Yep. 
So that's one of the purposes of us doing this is just identifying the tendencies so people can catch themselves and not burn bridges or have to make, you know, like who wants to make you raise your hand if you want your job to be more difficult, right? <laughs> who wants that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting as you talk about flips. Um, and again, those are that, that usually happens under stress or when things aren't working. And the interesting that I, the interesting thing that I think about uh, flips is that um, oftentimes the stress comes from your other approach, your typical approach, not working. Yeah. Right. So for me, inconclusive, when we're just, when we're just all being open and reflective, like Adrian was describing, when we're all just being open and reflective and nothing's getting decided, yeah. uh, nothing is certain. Um, that's, I get frustrated with that. And it's like, come on guys. All right. This is what we're doing. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm a five on certain. So I think that range is also important. I just want to reiterate that as well. That range is important because I fall right on the line between, um, you, you know, right in the middle of certain on the certain axes and or axis. And, and so my range goes up into truth exploring and down into inconclusive. So I can be, I can be all the things at, at once, I guess, or, or at, at different times, depending on how things are going. Yeah. Dan, you ought to talk about how this shows up on a team. At least that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because this there's 12 paradoxes in this report, and they identified them. But there there are different dynamics that every leader, executive, manager has to navigate in order to be effective with people. So the opinions paradox is 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 both. It's the head, it's the kind of the cornerstone or the headstone of initiating a project and interpersonal contact, interpersonal interaction. In other words, um, when you initiate a project, if you're, you want to be, you want to have your own opinion, but you want to be able to entertain a lot of different other opinions to come up with the best answer. And if somebody is strongly opinionated on the team, and you don't have a very high sense of certainty or confidence in your own opinion, that person will feel like a threat and you could get distracted and, and actually kind of uh, frustrate the initiating the initiation or the beginning planning of a project by getting hooked up and arguing about opinions about the way things are, the way they should be, where you want to go, who's, you know, uh, and so it's it, it it can frustrate a very good planning session, and can skew a lot of the strategic kinds of conversations that need to occur in a planning session, because the um, opinions are being argued over, or you know the conversation gets polarized between opinions and doesn't get to the necessary strategic conversations that need to occur in order to plan and initiate well. Yeah, I'm just thinking about. Um, it seems argumentative. That's the environment will be argumentative. Yeah. Mm. Well, and what comes with that is what I was going to say is, you know, people tend just because we're humans, we tend to be romantic and, uh, and moralized around our preferences. Right. So in that type, in that exact dynamic you're talking about, Dan, I'm thinking about different teams we've worked with recently, you yeah. know, those that are open reflective think that that's what good people do. 
(laughs) And people that are like certain and have a deep, clearly defined, confident opinion that that's what good people do. That's what great leaders do. Right. Like, so there, you know, we tend to define ourselves by what ought to be. And that kind of romantic egocentric view of it is, is also happening in the room. Like it's not just these dynamics, but it's the significant and the righteousness of these dynamics that's also happening in the room. And if we don't go ahead. It's like the assessment. I do this. It works for me. So it ought to be everybody way. Everybody else works. That's right. That's and right. That works on both sides of the paradigm. That's our natural humanity humanity so if we can be open to that that's right yeah and it and it it can it will look like a threat often if somebody is approaching it the other way right and will make up everything that that is wrong bad or broken about the other person because they approach it in a different way than we approach it or they fall differently on this opinions paradox i'm very opinionated about what i what's going on and you're open and reflective i'm going to think that you're passive that you don't have any backbone that yeah have the balls to step up to the plate and make a decision or if i'm very open and reflective and the other person's really opinionated i would think well they're you know they're just arrogant they're self-centered they're they don't have any room to consider and and what's what's really interesting is a lot of people who are both very balanced in this in this quadrant when somebody's balanced in it um they can appear to be very opinionated, but what they what they're doing is they're really listening and challenging their own idea. And unless they can hear get challenged, they're going to ask questions and hold on to their opinion. But they're being very open because they want to hear you tell them, show them the weakness in their idea, which they're open to. Yeah. It's when somebody's not open to the challenge, you know they're getting dogmatic. Mm-hmm. Or they- or they've been open to it, they can answer the challenge. They say, no, that's not sufficient enough. There's this, this, and this. And then, and then, um, and then uh, you know that they're not just being closed-minded. They're actually presenting to you why it's not working. So they've been open and considered your point of view. So it's because it's the assumption that if you saw it the way that I did, you would do it my way is a, is something we got to be aware of because somebody can be very open, not doing it your way, but for good reasons. And you don't want to hear the good reasons that they don't want to do it that way. Right. That's like that. So it's a, that's why the conversational stuff is so important. All this does is help us, you know, engage the conversation. So if I have a team like Adrian and I, I look and we'll map a culture out and we've had a team where, you know, like, there might be eight people on the team, men and women, and you know seven of them or six of them flip into opinions, into dogmatic. Dogmatic, right? Well, now we know. I, like I'll say to Adrian, well, we got to spend some time here and really talk about what, how we were, like what's going to benefit during this training. What kind of listening? Like, if you feel yourself getting defensive or opinionated then let's stop and look and see if what's really going on. We, we anticipate it. So we know this team's probably going to get pretty stuck at times. And if they're aware of it, we can remind them. Remember, we talked about this. And we can show this first. When we start the, the, the engagement, we'll put up the culture chart, show them. Then when we get into it, we anchor back to the chart when they start getting def- – it's not really defensive. It's, it's argumentative more than anything. They keep pushing yeah. their opinion – without being open to what else could be there. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah. just to, to clarify, uh, Dan, when you say culture map, what we're talking about is we can actually map out where everybody falls on this paradox in the team. So, and that's where I wanted to go next and end with is as we, as we're speaking to leaders, this is the naked leadership podcast, those who lead teams out there, let's say they have a team of six people and we, each one of the individuals takes the Harrison assessment and then for each paradox, and right now we're talking about the opinions one, we can, it'll map where each member of the team falls on this opinions chart, right? And, and where, they, where they tend to be uh, on the traits and where they might flip. It's and under pressure and under stress, yeah. So, in, oh, go ahead. See where the culture rests. And then you see where the culture flips to under pressure, pressure, what you can expect. And you get a good idea of who the canary in the cage is. Like, like if you got, if you got five people on the team, we're going to go do a, a leadership meeting this week. And, and in this particular opinions paradox, there's five people on the team, all four flip, three go into dogmatic, one goes down inconclusive, and one is perfectly balanced in truth exploring. So when things get argumentative, that person's probably going to have, you're going to want to listen to them, right? <laughs> you know, at least be open to what they have to say, because they're probably going to be the most balanced in the conversation under, under pressure. Yeah. And the interesting dynamic is, just to, to bring this home too, I mean, with that training we're coming in this week, the lead dog is the guy that goes down to inconclusive. Yeah, the, the, half and half, right? Yeah. Half exploring half dogmatic and then flips down into con, inconclusive. Yeah, and three of the ones that have been around for a while, they're, they flip into dogmatic, and then the brand new guy is in the truth exploring. So it's going to be a very interesting dynamic. <laughs> you know, is a brand new guy, which it's going to be per, it's going to be really great. And what a huge opportunity for this new guy to step up and like live in this tension and actually champion the tension because that's what's needed. I mean, I was just going to say, you know, this dynamic we've seen leaders die. Oh man, we we have been <laughs> on this dynamic. Like get fired because of this dynamic because this is yeah. this shows up. Like this is a reputation building dynamic. If you're dogmatic, often they are talking about that. They, they don't call it dogmatic. They call it arrogant. They call you names. Totally. <laughs> they, they yeah. They don't want to bring their opinions. They don't want to, they, they want to know what you want first because they know what they have to say is probably not going to go far. Yeah. There's tons of fear. If you, if you hang out as dogmatic, there's so much, so yeah, so much fear happening underneath you because they, they can't bring to your point, Dan, they can't bring things to you. They can't bring anything half-baked or pre-baked, you know, not they half-baked. Their, their opinions. They can't have an opinion. Yep. Or at least not long. And they're going to have to line up with you depending on how dogmatic you can be. That's right. There's very little wondering and, you know, a lot, most innovation comes out of some wondering. Um, so we've seen, we've seen leaders really tank due to the fact that they can't own where they go. Not that it happens, right? We want to make that mm -hmm. clear. Of course it happens. I can flip into dogmatic. Um, if I don't own my dogmatism when it shows up, and if I don't then guide myself back to a more resourceful stand, then I am dogmatic. And then everybody pays the price for that versus just having that tendency, seeing that thinking, even saying the thing like, you know, wanting to steamroll somebody and like slowing myself down. Hold on a second. There must be more going on here that I'm aware of and finding a few questions and giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. 
So this is a really, it's, it's powerful. And I'm glad, Chad, I'm glad you started here because it really, it really, you can see it through all the other paradoxes that we're going to be talking about. It's really thought provoking. So if you're a leader now, that's thinking about, think about your last leadership team. How well did we explore options? How passionately did we explore options? Was there really, because there ought to be some heated passionate debate around what's going to work for the future. Or did somebody say something, other people shut up and stop that, you know, and just think about the dynamic on your team now and where it could be, where you'd like it to be. I guarantee you, if we did some exploring with this, with your team, um, people would understand the dynamic so they can navigate the dynamic and the tendencies and be able to get to, I guess, generate a practice of how do we meet together? How do we explore ideas together? A team that doesn't do that well is set, you know, must settle for human nature, which is naturally more scarce than what's possible. And, and if you're leading a team and you're the CEO or you're the lead manager or whatever, and you're high open, reflective and low on your own certitude, one of the symptoms we've noticed is in that combination of tendencies or behavioral preferences is that they have what's called the revolving. It's like the, it's, it's when somebody comes in, it's the last person to come in your office. That's what you tend to do because you get so easily persuaded with so many different ideas. It's, it's like you, you, you live in inconclusive. So somebody will come in and say, Hey, I got a great idea. You'll listen. You go, that's a great idea. And then they'll leave. And the next person will come in and go, I got another idea. And you'll see that's a great idea. And the idea you end up working at taking action on is the last person who sat in the office because that's the last good idea that persuaded you, right? And so the first person who came in would come in and say, well, I thought we were going to do this. Well, and you'll go, oh, shoot, I forgot. Because you're not as, you know, you haven't really been building your own opinion and in listening to the other ideas, adding them to and having them challenge your own ideas. So you have your own opinion, right? So there's a number of different dynamics that happen on this, depending on where you're, you know, where you go under pressure. So we, we, we look at those things. It's a great way to calibrate a team to get them aware of their blind spots. So individually they can look into them when things come up and just check, just check to see, maybe there's something here I need to listen to. So, yeah. And if, if you, I mean, this, the other reason we've, we've hinted at this and also called it out over throughout this conversation is that knowing where we tend to go allows us to be a more effective leader, Dan. So like in that scenario where you're talking about where, you know, the, the inconclusive leader tends to go with the last idea that was presented, knowing that you can get the ideas from your team. And in those conversations, say something like, man, seems like you've really thought this through. That's fantastic. Thank you for the idea. I'm still formulating my opinion. So I will, as, as soon as I hear all of the opinions, as soon as I hear all the ideas, then we'll be able to come back together and make a decision. And I'll make a decision then, right? Right. You can actually think about why you're making the decision you're making and, and you formed your own opinion and you can give, and the team can join you in that, in your context, whether they agree or not, they know what you're about and they can line up behind you. And that's precisely why we do this is to open up those kinds of, if you, what Chad just described is what we call a workaround strategy. So he's aware of his own indecisiveness and makes room for it. And so he can make a decision and then also have a context for the team to line up with. So. 
And here's where, here's where I'd love to end this conversation is imagine those of you who lead out there, you're leading a team. Imagine having this mapped out for your entire team and for each individual. What is possible once you understand where everybody tends to land on this opinions paradox? What kind of conversations are now opened up? What opportunities? Um, what uh, I'd love to just end by uh, just like exploring maybe one or two examples or just things in general that both of you have seen in teams as they start to understand where their team lies on this paradox. Yeah, uh, I'll, so first team that comes to mind, I've got a leader that I coach. She's amazing. She's a huge future star for a fortune 500 company, very aggressive company, naturally, very competitive company, naturally. Um, and she really has a high value for this open reflective and there's a company value really for high level certainty. Um, and her seeing this and owning this um, and then championing this inside the company has really made huge waves um, for her as a leader, because she's actually representing a different type of conversation, a different, I guess the most honest way of saying she represents, she is, and she represents like a whole different way of leading and how to get to the best ideas. It used to be showboaty and it's still in many aspects of the company it is showboaty and who has the best opinion, not what she represents, which is who's able to illuminate the best opinion might be hers, might be somebody else's, but she's actually there to have the broadest, most impactful conversation. Not I'm here to say something. She actually shows up as a leader. I'm here to find something. And that's, that's really her, uh, her legacy already as a young leader inside this huge company. Um, she's made major leaps uh, even two, two promotions in the last 12 months, which never happens with this company. Like never, like Haley's comment, never. So, but it's a lot of, about this. It is, you know, what she, she champions this type of conversation. So, and whenever uh, she, and she can, therefore she can handle because she's really crystal clear. She can actually handle very certain people. Like she's not threatened by it at all because she really champions the, I wonder what the best idea is question. And so she doesn't bow to personality. She actually, she le she's leading in such a way. We've been in training with her team. Looks like we're going to train a whole bunch more with her team into, Hey, have a strong opinion and then lay your opinion at the altar for what's best for the team, what's best for the company. And that type of invitation as a leader it's, it is just naturally rare. People that have been on lots of teams, you know, that, that, wow, hold, hold on what, you know, and she does this really, really well. So that's one of the first team that comes to mind and the leader that comes to mind. Um, she really kicks ass at this. Anything to add, Dan? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a more, uh, so a downside, like um, mm -hmm. I, we had a team where, like I said, I think nine out of the 12 flipped to, to a, to dogmatic. And then not only that in the self, which we'll get into the self paradox later, go, what they all nine also flipped to defensive. And, <laughs> and so it was very difficult to be able to open up and get creative with this team. It was command and control the whole time. And they that were that great. That was a fun training, wasn't it? Oh Holy God. God. 
Holy cow. I, I worked my, I think I, because I, I, you know, I kept trying to find ways in to, to break it up and we could get, it was just, and part of the problem was not just, it was the general culture of the organization had been really punitive and secretive. And so people naturally were, information was being used politically to, to advance individual careers. That's what came up out of the conversation. So naturally people didn't want to share information and anybody who requested of it, requested any kind of information from them was hit, met with great suspicion. Yep. And they kept wondering why they were having turnover. Like guys who had been there for a long time could stay, but people, new people couldn't seem to make it with the team. Right. And that's what we ended up talking about. Like, I finally got their attention, I think, at the end of the weekend by just having them notice their turnover and that they're upset. They're nervous about being able to hold the market because a lot of their the people that they wanted to hire were going to the competition. They come in, work a little bit there and move on to the competition. And they, and that was because there was no no room to bring in new opinions, no room to challenge the existing opinion. Yep. So getting that straight with them was powerful. I know the, the guy leading the team really saw it. I mean, he, he saw it in action. It actually yeah. showed up in the weekend when yeah. we were working with him. And what, one of the takeaways from that was one of the most dogmatic people in the room. She's an, she is an expert in the field, 100% expert. Really good um, at what she does. Really great at what she does, world-renowned in this field. And by the end of this, part of connecting this conversation, she has been since then like a permanent um, consultant. Because, you know, if you're that certain and not at all willing to play well with others, you ought to go be on the outside. We will ask for your opinions, but we don't want you to be in the culture anymore because you're not here for us at all. You're here to say something instead of learn something. And they're both and, happier. And they're both happier. She didn't want <laughs> the politics and trying to get along. And, yep. and she didn't really want to get along. Didn't want to. Nope. She was clear about it. I'm right. Leave me alone is what yeah, she was saying. What said. <laughs> Okay. Come okay. in, come in, say my piece, mic drop and walk out. I know. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Very good at what you did. Really yeah. good. That's awesome. All right. Well, that's the, that's the opinions paradox. Um, like I said, we will find a way to visually show this to those who are interested in going and taking a look and I'll get that put together. Uh, but thanks so much, both of you for coming to this and sharing your results and being willing to explore this with me. I just find it fascinating and mostly just so much value here for leaders. As you think about having this mapped out for both yourself and your team that, I mean, so much becomes possible uh, in in, in every aspect of, of teamwork and, and, uh, and business. So thanks yeah. so much, gents. Yeah. Very welcome. Thanks. Bye, -bye everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Podcast.